Good morning. It's good to see you all here as we worship our God together. If you're visiting with us, we're delighted to have you. And if you have not done so, we would ask that you'd sign the guest book, which is located there at the back door or the front door, whichever way you come in or out. I I never know if that's the back or the front. Anyhow, we're, we're delighted you're here as we worship our God together. I would make mention that we will be singing out of the hymns of grace as well as the Trinity, so make sure there's a hymns of grace around about you. Um, And I trust you all have bulletins. On the back of your bulletins are the announcements. There will be no afternoon service uh, this afternoon. We will be meeting on Wednesday at 7 o'clock. We meet on Zoom for prayer meeting. If you want to be a part of that, let us know, and we'll do our best to get you on. Uh, to be a part of that prayer meeting. Ladies, you have a Bible study this Saturday from 9 to 11 at the Home of the Whites. Keep that in mind. And then you see next week, um, Mr. John Vondolsky, or somewhere along that line it's pronounced, uh, will be with us. He'll be with us in all three services. He's giving his testimony in the Sunday school hour and then preaching in the morning and the afternoon worship services. You see that it's a traditional back-to-back service, so you see what, I mean, meal so you see what you need to bring and I would encourage you to bring plenty because John has eight children and I think they're all coming so um, <laughs> we have a few more mouths to feed next week so so keep that in mind as well and then I'm delighted to let you know that Quentin Perry desires to commit himself to this body of believers and he wants to do that with an outward profession of his faith and baptism and so his testimony is on the back table. So especially those of you who are members, make sure you pick it up and read that testimony. And then if you have any questions, you're to see uh, Quentin and speak to him. If for some reason those questions are not resolved, then you can come to me and we can talk. But we're certainly excited about that possibility of having another one join us. And so we'll be having another baptismal service here in the near future. Uh, together, So we rejoice in, in God's goodness to us in that way. Well, that's all the announcements that I have. In John chapter 14, our Lord Jesus Christ, seeking to encourage His disciples, says to them, A little while, the world will no longer see Me, but you will see Me. Because I live, you will live also. And so even as we reminded this morning in the earlier hour, we have a living Savior that we're worshiping this morning. Will you prepare your hearts to meet with Him?
inside your bulletin is the call to worship coming from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in which Paul addresses the importance of the resurrection. So if you will please stand with me as we call one another to worship with this responsive reading. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And our faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, we have even found to be false witnesses, because we testify against God that He raised Christ. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless, and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Christ has not been raised, then we are men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. Now let us take our hymns of grace, hymns of grace turning to 310 and sing together the resurrection song, 310, hymns of grace.
and mercy that we are able to do so, for it was because of our sin and rebellion, and because of his willing obedience to your foreordained plan to save us, that he was betrayed into the hands of men, and suffered, was crucified, died, and was buried. But all praise and honor be to you, our Father, forever and ever, for on the third day he rose again from the dead, according to the scriptures, never to die again, for death no longer has dominion over him. So because of your loving kindness, we pray that you'd be pleased to be present with us today in this service of worship, and as your word is sung and read and preached, we ask that the Holy Spirit would lead us to be obedient to the command you gave to the disciples on the holy mountain. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him, for it's in the matchless name of our King Jesus we pray. Amen. 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 And now take your Trinity hymn books and turn to hymn 202. Hymn 202, lift up your voice, 202.
17. Matthew 17. And there are a couple of points that we'll want to recall from chapter 16 that Brother Jason read last week. One is that the Pharisees and the Sadducees had tested Jesus by asking for a sign from heaven. And he told them the only sign they were going to get was the sign of Jonah. But now here in chapter 17, we'll see that Peter, James, and John, who did not demand a sign, are given what we could say would be a definitive sign from heaven. Jesus is transfigured before them. They see Moses and Elijah. They hear the voice of God. And it's, it's interesting that in verse 3 of chapter 17, Matthew tells us that Moses and Elijah are talking with the Lord Jesus. But he doesn't say what they're talking about. But over in Luke's gospel, we are told what they're talking about. Luke 9.31 says, They were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses and Elijah talking about death, burial, and resurrection coming up and his departure from the world. And that brings up the second point we want to recall from chapter 16 last week. After Peter's testimony that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, verse 21 of chapter 16 said, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. And now here in chapter 17 we'll see that the Lord Jesus speaks of this three more times, not counting the conversation of Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. So, Matthew 17. Hear now the word of the living and true God. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell down, fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. You know what they did to John the Baptist. So also the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. When they came to the crowd, a man came up to Jesus, falling on his knees before him, and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and is very ill, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. 
And Jesus answered and said, You unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked him, and the demon came out of him, and the boy was cured at once. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why can we not drive it out? And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. But this kind does not come out, does not go out, except by prayer and fasting. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. When they came to, to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma packs came to Peter and said, does your, Peter, does your teacher not pay the two drachma packs? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? And when Peter said, From strangers, Jesus said to him, Then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw in a hook, and take the first fish that comes up, and when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for you and me. morning as we seek our God again together in prayer, we especially want to remember the Covenant Reformed Baptist Church in Bluefield, West Virginia with Pastor McKinnon and Pastor Holland. Let's seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, how thankful we are for the gospel. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. How thankful we are for that gospel and the message in that gospel that Jesus Christ came into this world, that he went to the cross and gave his life a ransom for many, that he was buried, but that three days later he conquered death and rose again and now sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Father, we give you thanks that we have a living Savior. We give you thanks that we have a God who's a God of grace and mercy, who redeems sinners and brings them unto himself. And Father, how we pray that around Lenaway County, the surrounding area, around the United States and around the world, that today many would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That many would know the blessed, the blessed position of being justified before God Almighty because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on that cross. And Father, how we pray that as the people of God, we would not be ashamed of that gospel, but that you would give us courage and boldness to proclaim that gospel to a lost and dying world. Father, we would ask that you would meet with the brethren there in Bluefield, West Virginia. We thank you for the way that you have kept them these many years. Thank you for drawing near to them. We thank you for the fact that you're bringing visitors in among them. And how we pray that you might be pleased to save those who do not know you 
and add to their church such that are being saved. We pray that you would be with Pastor McKinnon and Pastor Holland as they seek to labor there for the good of your kingdom. And we know that the church is about ready to go through some transition as Pastor Holland becomes the more supportive preaching elder and Pastor McKinnon steps back and while still serving as an elder will not give himself to the same degree. And so we pray that in the midst of that transition things would go smoothly, that you will bless but continue to use both our brothers for the good of that congregation there. Father, we would pray that you would draw near to us as we open your word. May the Spirit of God come and minister unto us, giving us understanding of the Word, and then helping us to rightly apply it to our hearts and lives. So meet with us, we pray, around Your Word, as we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Before we come to open the Word, take your hymns of grace, hymns of grace, turning to 308, Christ is risen He's risen indeed, 308.
John chapter 11 this morning. John chapter 11. On most of our calendars, today is marked with the words Easter. Easter, according to Webster's Dictionary, is this. An annual Christmas festival celebrating the resurrection of Jesus held on the first Sunday after the date of the first full moon that occurs on or after March 21st. Now you know what Easter is. However, far be it from me to correct Mr. Webster, who probably knows far more than I do. However, his definition of Easter is mistaken. For Mr. Webster says it is the celebration or the annual celebration of the resurrection of Christ. And as believers, we don't believe we celebrate the resurrection of Christ annually, one time a year, but we believe that every Lord's Day is a Resurrection Sunday. We, we celebrate Easter 52 weeks out of the year. Not annually. However, if the calendar says Easter, and most would expect that on this Sunday we would focus in a particular way on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and God would use that to cause some people to think about it who don't think about it at all except on Easter. Well, if God can use that for good, well and good. I, I can only imagine for some of you, if I would have said this morning, take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 10 as we continue our study through the book of Deuteronomy, some of your hearts would have sunk. Does pastor not know this is Easter? Does he not know he's supposed to preach on the resurrection? And you know, as I looked over notes, I have many sermons on the resurrection. And sometimes when you preach as long as I've been preaching, it's difficult to come up with something fresh for Easter to preach on once again. But I don't believe I've ever preached on this passage at Easter. And so it is my prayer that that God might use it. The Scripture does put a major focus upon the resurrection. In the book of Acts, for example, there are 13 recorded sermons. Seven by Paul, five by Peter, and one by Stephen. Every one of those sermons emphasizes the resurrection. And not one of them mentions the birth of Christ. Each of them declares the fact that Christ has been raised from the dead. And, and what they're declaring is an historical event that took place previous to their message. 
But even as we read this morning, Christ spoke of that event before it ever took place. Brother Cliff mentioned Matthew 6, 16, Matthew 16, where we read, from, from that time Jesus began to show His disciples that, that they must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief, chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. Remember there in John chapter 2 and, and verse 19, Christ, looking at the temple, says, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And there was confusion. You mean He can destroy this temple? And, and what took us days upon days to build, He's going to build it in three days? But what He was speaking of, as He later says, He wasn't speaking of the physical temple. He was speaking of the temple of His own body. And so as we come to John chapter 11, we come to another passage in which Jesus will speak of His resurrection. As we come to this passage, you will see that He declares Himself to be the resurrection and the life. This is one of seven times that Jesus claims, I am. This is the sixth one. I am the resurrection and the life. And the only one left is there in John 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And, and what we find in this passage is the last miracle that takes place that John records before the death of Christ. And so follow along as I, I read these verses, the first 27 verses of this chapter, and then as I open them up a bit for us this morning. Verse 1 of John chapter 11. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet and her, with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So the sisters sent word to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. But when Jesus heard this, he said, This sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified by it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he then stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? Anyone who walks in the day... He does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. This he said, after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I will go so that I may awaken him out of sleep. 
And the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he was speaking of literal sleep. So Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Therefore Thomas, who is called Nicomus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go, so that we might die with him. So when Jesus came, he found he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Martha, therefore, when she had heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. But Mary stayed at the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, said to her, Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. Well, here in this passage of Scripture, Christ prophesies his resurrection from the dead. And it's with this in mind that I want you to notice several things with me this morning. First of all, from this passage, we have an unavoidable realization. An unavoidable realization. In this passage, we hear about death. We hear about sorrow. As we read through this passage, you, you can see death. You can even smell death. You could hear about death. Someone might even say in reading through this, you could, you could even taste a little bit of death. But that's the reality that each one of us face. Each one of us face the reality of death. No one lives in this life forever. James puts it this way, My life is but a vapor that's here for a little while and then vanishes away. John Blanchard says this, Even with all our civilization, sophistication, and medication, life is brief and death is certain. The moment a man is born, he begins to die. And the reality of death could come at any time. Another man says, man is not here to stay. He is here to go 
And death is no respecter of persons. In Luke chapter 16, we have the contrast between a rich man and a poor man. A man who was a beggar and a wealthy individual. And the narrative tells us about these two men. And here's what we read. Listen. Now the poor man died. And then a little later, and the rich man also died. That, that realization hits us in this passage of Scripture. Unless the Lord returns, each of us will one day walk through death's door. There, there will come a time when, when our hearts will stop beating and, and our souls will leave the body. We will experience death. And man wasn't born to die originally. Originally, man was to live forever. But because sin came into the world, death followed. The wages of sin is death. Paul tells us, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death spread to all men, because all have sin. Death. We, we don't like to speak about it. We don't enjoy going to funerals. I got a call this week. My brother-in-law had died. I, I went to his funeral this past Friday. It wasn't a joyous occasion. It was a sad occasion. There was sorrow. There was grief. But the reality is, that's the end of every one of us. It's the end of us all. And this reality leads to sorrow. Leads to sorrow. Because death is the great separator. Death separates the body from the soul. Death separates us from loved ones. Death separates us from the life we once lived. And here in our passage, we read these words. Lazarus is dead. He's dead. Such an experience is unavoidable. And when it takes place, no one knows whether it takes place in our younger years or our older years. We never know. This passage calls upon each one of us to consider the reality seriously about death. About death. And so we see in this passage an unavoidable realization. But secondly, we see in this passage a frequent objection. A frequent objection. And here by that I mean notice, notice Martha. Martha is the more active of the two sisters. Martha is grieving. Mary and Martha has sent word to Christ concerning their brother. Verse 3, Behold, the one you love is, is sick. 
And now Martha will find her faith challenged. Their message to Christ was, was marked by simplicity. There, there's no questioning. There's, there's nothing unclear about what they're saying. Lazarus, your dear friend, a friend that you love, is sick. We, we need you to come. And, and they were hoping that Christ would come immediately. But he doesn't. Verse 6 tells us he stayed two days longer. He waited two days. The sisters believe that that delay was the cause of Lazarus' death. If you would have come, if you would have been here, our brother would not be dead. Now we know why he delayed. And it was for good reason. He delayed two days so that he might glorify the Father and that he might be glorified. He has a good reason for not coming immediately. But Martha doesn't know that. You can hear in her voice almost an uncertainty. Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, she's saying, you know, Lord, I object to what's going on. If only... You would have been here. And oftentimes, that's the way we might live our lives. If only this would happen, then life would be different. If, if only I, I didn't receive this bad news from the doctor this week, I would be able to perhaps be more diligent in the service of my God. As though, God, I think I might know better than you do. I think I have a, a better way of seeing things out than the way you're bringing things out. And we begin to doubt God's wisdom or even doubt God's goodness. Don't you hear that in Mary's voice? If, if you would have been here, this is your fault. It didn't have to happen. And they engage in a discussion. Jesus tells her that your brother will rise again. And Martha responds with, she's aware of that, that one day, on the last day, that, that her brother would, would rise up with the others on the day of resurrection. But if you would have been here, and how often would this phrase have been repeated by the sisters. We told Jesus. We told Jesus that Lazarus was sick, but, but he's not coming. How, how many times during the day did they run out to the road and look? Is he coming? Do you see anything? And No, there's no sign of him. Didn't he understand? And Lazarus dies. This happens very frequently in our lives. When we believe that things ought to be different than what they are. And yet, as believers, we've got to trust God. He has a reason. He does love us. He does care for us. And sometimes, in going through real affliction and difficulties, 
we might begin to doubt that because things aren't turning out the way that we want them to happen. You see, Martha was a woman of faith, but her faith is challenged because things aren't turning out as she had hoped. And so we see in her this frequent objection that often believers encounter in this world. Well, seeing an unavoidable realization and a frequent objection, notice thirdly from this passage, a splendid declaration. A splendid declaration. How kind our Lord is. Martha says to him, if, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. And notice how Christ responds. Christ doesn't look at her and say, who are you? You know what we do as parents sometimes. Who are you to talk to me that way? Or we might say as parents, where did that tone of voice come from? Who do you think you're speaking to? Did you ever hear that, children? When maybe you said some things you ought not have said, especially to parents? Who are you to talk? Who are you to talk to me that way? I, I remember when when I was in seminary and there was a conflict and and I met with one of the professors and we were talking and apparently my tone told him that that I was not happy and I think for good reasons but I won't get into all that but I remember him looking at me and saying I'll never forget I think you've got a burr in your saddle. Which really meant, why are you talking to me this way? Christ doesn't do that. But what Christ does is set before her a splendid declaration. I am the resurrection. The, the resurrection is standing in your very presence. Martha, you're talking. I mean, yes, your brother is dead, but you're talking to the very one who is the resurrection and the life. And by that, what he's saying to Martha is, I want you to know something. I'm going to conquer death. The, the last great enemy is death. Everyone, because sin came into the world, is under the penalty of death. And no man can pay off that debt. But Martha, I'm here to tell you, I'm going to pay off that death, debt for my children. I will be victorious over death. Death has no power over me. He's saying, Martha, in me, death is defeated. Romans chapter 4, verse 25. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions 
was raised because of our justification. Martha, I'm the resurrection. I'm going to conquer death. And just a little while, Jesus Christ will go to a cross. And on that cross, He will breathe His last breath. Jesus will die. Can you imagine the rejoicing and the heyday that Satan and his host had the moment Christ died? We've conquered Him. He's dead. And they take Him down off that cross. And where do they place Him? They place Him in a cave where you place dead men. His heart has stopped beating. He's not breathing. He's dead. But three days later, He came out of that grave alive. Alive. He beat death. He conquered death. Romans 8 and verse 34. Who is the one who condemns us? Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. We die because of sin. Christ tasted death. Think about this. Not because of His sin. He knew no sin. He was sinless. The perfect Son of God. And yet, He tasted the penalty of death He tasted the penalty of sin by dying on that cross in order that He might pay the price that we owed because of our sin. He paid the price. Jesus paid it all. All To Him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. But He washed it white as snow. This declaration, I am the resurrection and life, isn't just something we celebrate, but it's something we ought to live out that we serve a risen Savior. But then fourthly, notice with me, the exciting confirmation. The exciting confirmation. And after making this declaration, the Lord then goes on to say something about what we possess in Him. He says, I am the resurrection, verse 25, and the life, and He who believes in Me will live 
even if he dies. <laughs> well, there's an interesting term. You're going to live even if you die. Most of us would be scratching our heads. Well, wait a minute. If I'm dead, how do I live? Well, we live in Christ. He goes on to say, And everyone who lives and believes in Me will never die. Well, wait a minute. You just said we're going to die, but we're going to live. Now you say when we die. Are we dying or not dying? Are we living or not living? And what he's confirming is this. Yes, yes, you will die a physical death. But if you believe in him, you'll live forever spiritually. So that the moment my soul and by soul, it's what animates me. It's who I am. My soul will depart from my body so that my body will no longer have life. But my soul will live on. And if I have believed in Him, I will live in His very presence. And so though I'm dead physically, I'm alive in Christ. And I'll never die, but I will live forever. Because in Him, I have died and I've been resurrected. In Him, there is life. And how do we know? How do we know that Jesus Christ his own death was payment enough. I mean, how do we know that, that God said, okay, I will accept that as payment in full, your death on the cross. How do we know that? We know it because of the resurrection. We know it because of... John Blanchard in his book, Learning and Living the Christian Life, gives the illustration this way, and this is my paraphrase of his illustration, but, but many years ago, when a man would borrow money, if he didn't pay the money back, he would go into debtor's prison. And he would stay in debtor's prison until the money was paid back. Now, oftentimes when a man would borrow money, he would have a guarantor. Or he would have a, what we'd say now as a cosigner. And if I borrowed money, and I, and I owed somebody a lot of money, and if I skipped town and they couldn't find me, guess who they're going to go to? They're going to go to the cosigner. And guess who's going to go to debtor's prison if he can't pay off the debt? He's going to, he's, so the cosigner has to go to debtor's prison until the debt is paid. And let's say many years later, I come back into town. And as I'm walking through the town, I look up, and there's my cosigner. He's not in prison. He's out of prison, living his life. What does that tell me? It tells me the debt's been paid. 
The bet's been paid in full. The co-signer is out and alive. And so it is with the resurrection. Jesus Christ paid the debt of my sins. And how do I know that, that on that debt is now stamped paid in full? I know it because He's now out and alive. The debt has been paid fully. Or to put it this way, when I pay off my mortgage, which will be a wonderful day, not coming anytime soon, but, but if I pay off my mortgage and, and I go in there and I give them the cash and they take the cash and then I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and finally they come out and they have this certificate and they give me the certificate and it says paid in full. That's the resurrection. Paying the debt, the death on the cross. Receiving a certificate paid in full, the resurrection. The resurrection. And so we're reminded here with this confirmation, everyone who believes will never die. Spiritually, we will live in God's presence forever. And one day, when Jesus returns and He sets up a new heaven and a new earth, body and soul will be joined together again. And as I've said so many times, no more defilement of sin and no more decay of the body on that glorious day. Because He lives, I will live also. I will live also. Well, Come lastly for a moment with me and notice the challenging application. The challenging application. What does our Lord say? He looks at Martha and says these words. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And by that, He doesn't mean, you know, if you were, as we talked about earlier this morning, if, if you were to take a quiz in a class and they ask you, what happened to Jesus after three days? You'd write on your piece of paper, He was raised from the dead. I know that. But when Jesus looks at Martha in the eyes and says to her, do you believe this? He, he doesn't have in mind a, a general understanding or, or even a, a theological understanding of a biblical doctrine. But he's asking her sincerely and, and honestly, do you believe this? This is the application of this truth. Easter Sunday, a, a festival of, of celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you believe this? Perhaps more people are in church this morning than, than usual. I passed a couple on my way that the parking lot seemed to be a bit fuller this morning than, than most mornings when I passed them. At the funeral this past week, uh, we were told that, that dear Chris 
only went to church twice the year, which I thought was interesting. Mother's Day and, and Easter. Got to go to church those two days. Why? Why Easter? Well, I imagine if you were to spoke to most people who aren't usually in church on Sunday, but they're here this morning, and you ask them, why? Well, it's Easter. Well, we're supposed to do something with Christ on this day. Somebody came out of a tomb and, and so forth. They know that. But do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the author of the resurrection? He, he's the source of all true life. Do you believe? So here, here's my application for you. Do you believe this? Do you understand you're a sinner? And because you're a sinner, you will die. I'm, I'm not just speaking about physically, but spiritually. There'll be this separation from God. There's an alienation because of your sin between you and God. There, there, there's this gulf between the two of you because of your sin. God demands a perfect righteousness. God demands perfect obedience. That's what He's demanded. And none of us can say we've done that. We're, we're all guilty of breaking His laws. We, we're all sinners. And, and therefore, we rightly deserve this alienation. I know everybody wants to go to heaven. But going to heaven is impossible in and of yourself. You'll never make it to heaven dressed in your own garments of righteousness. It will not work. Because your righteousness is filthy rags in God's sight. And some of you are thinking, oh, this is good news. What a wonderful Easter message. We're a bunch of rascals. Yeah, we are. Telling you the truth. But there is a way. There is a way in which I can be found right with God. There is a way in which God can look upon me and says, this man is not guilty of any wrongdoing. Which, if you know me, would be an amazing statement. This man is not guilty of any wrongdoing. How, how could that possibly be? Because there's another one who took my place, paid my penalty, conquered death on my behalf. And it's through him that I'm now forgiven. So that when God sees me, he, he sees this man clothed in a righteousness, not his own, but the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, oh yeah, my son paid your debt. You're a justified man. And no glory belongs to you. All the glory belongs to my son. Do you believe that? Notice, notice what she answers. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And so I ask, do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you for a living Savior. We thank You that we can celebrate that Jesus Christ is risen. He, he is risen indeed. And we thank You that with that we have the assurance 
that everyone who believes upon Him has life and has it abundantly. And we know that there's some who sit here this morning and they're still lost. They're, they're hoping to go to heaven, but they're thinking that maybe their good works are good enough to get them there. Father, may You open their eyes to such foolishness and cause them to see. But here's one. Here's one who went to the cross, tasted death, but conquered death for everyone who believes. And may they come to know Jesus Christ to be the way, truth, and the life. Knowing that no one comes to the Father but through Him. And Father, for those of us who You've been pleased to bring unto Yourself, may we rejoice. May it be a day of celebration. May every Lord's Day be a reminder that we serve a risen Savior. And may we find great hope and great comfort and great assurance in that Savior. So do a work that only You can do in hearts and lives and, and receive all the glory and the honor. As we ask these things in Christ's name, Amen. In closing, take your Trinity hymn books, the Trinity hymn books, and turn to 197. 197, the day of resurrection, earth tells it out aloud. 197. Stand with me as we sing.
thankful we are that we have a living Savior. And how thankful we are that there's forgiveness in Him. Hope you have a blessed day and enjoy the day. And we look forward to seeing you. Wednesday night or next Lord's Day.